Welcome to the Where Two or Three podcast, Christian thinkers finding their place at the table of communication and scholarship. Before we begin this disclaimer, the views and discussions of this podcast do not necessarily reflect agreement with the views of Martin Luther College, which I represent. So first off, a little bit about uh, who we are. Um, my name is John Wildauer. I live in the Twin Cities area, um, doing a lot of random jobs around this time in my life, uh, but mostly I am a freelance uh, video producer. Uh, that's what I'm currently doing. And for you? Yeah. Well, you didn't mention, John, you have your master's degree in communication. Yes, I, I do. Uh, yeah. I think you have uh, some experience in the same program, right? Yes, I do. <laughs> Mankato State University, right? That is correct. Yes, and I'm Mark Pouston. Um, I have a degree from that place in communication and also a PhD from Regent University. I teach at Martin Luther College, teach Hebrew and intro to apologetics, intro to preaching, and um, one of my great loves is teaching communication to future pastors and teachers here at our college. Awesome. And I'm married. Hello, Constance, and a shout out to our two listeners, Abby and Keenan. <laughs> I have two daughters, Abby and Hannah, and um, two future sons-in-law as well. Um, that's Joe and Keenan. Yeah, shout out to them. Going to be a busy summer next Yes, summer, it is. Right? <laughs> oh, boy. All right, so I think to start off, you have a little bit about uh, why the podcast is named Where Two or Three. Yeah, little, uh, yeah thank you, John. Sort of devotion. Sure, sure. The, the inspiration for the title comes from that... Uh, marvelous verse in Matthew 18, where two or three come together in my name, Jesus said, there am I in the midst of them. And, you know, coming together in my name by itself, we could unpack for a long time. Coming together in view of everything that Christ has ever revealed about himself and and the Father by his coming. Um, so this is the verse that defines the Christian church and so on. There's more to it than that when you look at the context. And, and um it becomes the inspiration for the podcast, just this phrase, where two or three, because part of what we have in mind is those uh, approaches to communication that are just uniquely Christian, that the world of communication scholarship does not actually know much about. So uh, as to the context of Matthew 18, um, you, you see conflict just all around this verse. This is the place where the disciples ask, how many times should I forgive my brother? Um, Seven times they offer, thinking this is magnanimous, you know. The rabbis did three, mm -hmm. when they said, how about seven? And Jesus said, 70 times seven, which is just to say, I mean, at seven, you're just getting getting warmed up, you know. Um, the same context has uh, then Jesus talking about what to do when this happens between you and your brother. You know, the steps that you were to take to win your brother over. The same context has that, that uh, story Jesus told about a man who was forgiven you know, millions, let's say, and turned around and did not have the heart to forgive a really small debt. And, and Jesus tells a story in which the master is not amused by that. So the point is just that this whole context is, when you say two or three come together, you have to have in mind that something came between the two or three. So this is really about the the ugliness, ugliness that happens between people, the Oh, I don't know, the power of all of our sin to just completely fracture relationship. Um, any sin you think of, you can think of it in those terms, really. The, the wedge shape it has to come between people, you know, what lust does to objectify another person, what selfishness does to wall us each off within our own fearful concerns, and 
what gossip does. You know, you can go on and on how that tears people apart in churches and so on. So the context isn't two or three that come together for a play date or coffee or something. It's two or three come together when something um, came between them, something tragically human. The hymn verse, it says, uh, having lost our God, we lost our brother too, just says so much of the fracturing of community, you know. So so that means that to me where two or three come together, um, it's just this marvelous view of reconciling that's available in Christ, only in Christ, you know. And so, you know, the, the communication world has words like reconciliation. It has words like forgiveness. It doesn't have the death of God's Son standing behind them. So it really does not have these ideas in, in anything like the same form that we do. And so part of our podcast is just um, being fascinated by that. What is that? What is that that only Christians can really understand by the Word and by the Spirit? Yeah, so taking something that's uniquely Christian, such as uh, the idea you just put forward, and using that to understand the way that we're talking to one another and how we can use that to um, enhance our understanding of each other and enhance mm-hmm. our faith as well. It's something that's available to us. Yeah. Um, that is our great gift to want to unveil before the whole world what communication can be when it is in Christ, by Christ, for Christ, to Christ, through Christ, you know, all of that. Yeah. So um, if I ever have any students listening, some of this will be stories they've heard, but I do have to tell one or maybe two. <laughs> um, I, I was in a Bible study at a person's home. We met every Tuesday morning, and and uh, two people who were there just kind of paused the study and said, Pastor, we just have to tell you something that uh, happened to us years ago um, that kind of remained a mystery to them. It was the man confessed to me that he had come to church one day and he said, this is just the last time. This is the last time. He was sick. He was just so sick of it. He was angry at, angry at me, angry at the community, angry, 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 you know. And then so this is just the last day. And the woman who was in the Bible study was part of the story. She somehow, for some reason, um, that Sunday chose to cross the lobby and, and approach this man. And she knew she was part of his story, part of his grief and frustration. And without being able to remember what, what they said entirely, she just spoke about pouring out her, her sadness. And, and, I hope, and I hope you can forgive me. I hope you can forgive all of us. And, and they're telling me this story like with the, like the hair in the arm going up, you know, like this is this, is this miracle that they, they uh, have carried with them. Like what in the world is going on there? Because Ed, Ed says... Pastor, the anger of all those years just left me. And he said, Pastor, every good feeling I ever had for you came back. And every good feeling I ever had for this con- congregation, it just came back and it hasn't left. And, and, and they're looking at me like, what, what in the world was that, you know? And I don't even know what I said. I've just had time to reflect on where two or three come together in my name. You know, there am I. Jesus said, that's, that's me. That's, that's who I am. It's what I do. And if you've ever been you know, in a position to try to help someone to forgive and how outrageous the very suggestion can be. You know, this is a miracle. This is just a flat-out miracle. And so, again, it inspires the, the podcast where two or three, there's more to what that um, phrase means, and you'll be talking about that in a moment. But Yeah, uh, yeah it's just, I remember when 
I was in your class hearing that story. I think you you sure, had I've brought that told up it for years. <laughs> yeah, at just how powerful having Christ in that conversation and bringing Him in. It, you you can't get that no. outside of faith. No, it's just not. It's it, not something that's that's there. It's those moments when our whole theology becomes life, becomes this real thing. The first time someone has really hurt you, that you. Forgive in His name. Come together in His name. Um, that's when, boy, if if you get angry at the church and cut and run the first time someone hurts you, that's what you will have missed. You will, you will have missed that moment and that power and that finding out what this whole thing has been about from the start. It's always been about forgiveness. Um, that which we have from God, which we then are given the power to freely extend to others. Yeah, that's the message of the cross is... Mm-hmm. Forgiveness, yes, how powerful <clears throat> that is. So this example we just talked about was an instance where we took something that's uniquely Christian and applied it to how that can be seen in the way that we communicate with one another. Uh, so that is one one of the ways, one of the aspects in which we'll, we'll approach this podcast is if there's something that is uniquely Christian that we find in Scripture— that we can then apply to our understanding of how we communicate with one another, uh, that, that could be one avenue that, that we take. Uh, the other way is if we take a communication theory, such as we will do today with a theory called expectation violation theory. We take the scholarship around that theory and we sort of approach scripture with armed with that knowledge. And, and we kind of, inspect it more with maybe a new pair of glasses on and maybe see something in a way that we didn't see before. Um, and to help us, to help guide us along both of those avenues, both of those approaches, we'll be using a set of metaphors that kind of go along with the idea of, of people coming together at a, for a dinner where, where two or three would meet. So the first one would be something like a devotion or a table prayer as we've started this podcast with, um, Another one that we'll come up with in just a second here is an appetizer, an hors d'oeuvre, where we take the topic of our our conversation and we kind of start it off with something that's kind of tantalizing or grabbing or something that might pique one's interest. Uh, and after that, we'd go right into the main course, which would naturally be the uh, topic of conversation for the day. Um, every once in a while, we might have some other metaphors we use if there was a communication scholar or a theologian that we thought... Um, was very integral to the conversation. We might have a section called something like Meet the Chef, where we kind of do a featurette on them or include some of their history to help inform what the what the conversation would be. Uh, at the end, we'll have occasionally a dessert or two, which might be us going off topic or just having fun talking to one another. Anything that's interesting to us at the time, anything we're fascinated with or the Packer game or whatever's on our mind at the time. So... And I thought of one, John, driving up to the college to record. I thought if one of you and I, if either you and I says something that doesn't sound quite right, like this could be misunderstood, I'm going to say, we can say to each other, let's send that back to the kitchen. How's that? Let's send, send it that back. back to the kitchen. Send it back. <laughs> let's, try, let's make that a little longer movie. <laughs> can I, I was hoping for more medium rare <laughs> instead of the tiger meat yeah, that yeah, is yeah. in front of me. And by the way, to our two listeners, um, this took us a while to come up with what to call this podcast. So I think we've uh, had other ideas like Harry Potter and the communication of theology oh, or something. Oh, it was um, Harry Potter and the Dead Sea Scrolls. <laughs> 
<laughs> was a rejected, was, uh, yeah. rejected. That would draw in too many listeners, really. Yeah, I don't think we're ready for that no, quite yet. Uh, so, but we have been talking about this for almost a year now, yeah. I think. We were sitting in Lola's and just having one of our nerdy conversations. You, you know, the, the, the step from communication to theology and back is always such a short step. I mean, these, these two disciplines really just beg to be brought together. It's a really happy marriage, and we've had so many cool, nerdy conversations. Yeah. And we just kind of say, we should, we should do a podcast on that. Yeah, it. exactly. <laughs> so. I mean, so easy to make a bridge between those two things, oh, especially. Yeah. I mean, it comes up every time that we talk. Yeah. And so if the yeah. least we can do is make that bridge and connection for other people uh, in a way that's interesting, informative, and enriches their faith, then it's a, it's a true blessing. Absolutely. I, I was going to say, uh, if there's maybe just one more way to talk about the two or three metaphor that kind of, or one thing to talk, one way to talk about what we're after. It also is, I think we both made the observation that the things that are discussed in communication scholarship are things that the church has been thinking about way longer than anybody else. I mean, the, the church has thought about this for 2,000 years and then go back to Moses. And we've thought about this for centuries, you know. And so I, I've often felt St. Augustine deserves a place at the table. He's kind of the first semiotician, the first person with a mature theory of what words are and what signs are. And, you know, Luther deserves a place at the table. And you really unpack some things he talked about centuries ahead of his time. And Kierkegaard and Bonhoeffer, just all kinds of Lutherans of various conditions of, I suppose, orthodoxy and safety. <laughs> but, but it's just to say we've been thinking about this question of what passes between two human beings, what passes between people, how can they affect each other and glorify God. This, this is our area as Christians. It really is. Exactly. And so it's exciting to think about just having, having a playground to explore how those two things, theology and communication, come together. Um, I just thought of this too, John. I, um, we're not the only ones doing this, by the way. I, mean, I know you know that. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Ken Cherney at the seminary, we, we talked a while ago about this. You know, here's a guy studying the New Testament at a high, high level, and he's asking me, who studies communication? So have you studied Grace's maxims? Do you remember what those are? I mean, the, the rules of conversation, the yeah. quality maxim, which has to do with the rules about honesty and so on, the politeness maxim having to do with face and shame, and how every culture has a set of um, norms within these categories. So anyway, so here's a New Testament scholar of a high, high level asking me, or finding out that we've been studying the same people, really, you know, that I remember his example was Grace's maxims being brought right now today to some of the most challenging conversations of the scripture to to gain some understanding of them. And I remember his example was Jesus before Pilate. Pilate says, you oh, are yeah. a king. And Jesus says, you are saying I'm a king. And I'm like, what in the world does that turn mean? You know, <laughs> what is, I mean, what it means is very clear. What's he trying to do with that turn is what what um, a communication scholar could really weigh in on, you know. So so I'm just saying we're not the only ones that have thought of this, how a theology of communication is is, um, kind of being born right now as we speak. And so we're just being part of that conversation, really. For sure. And we're very excited about it, too. Yes, we are. Uh, So before we get into the main course that we have today, I think it would be appropriate if we, we begin... With something like a table prayer. Okay. This is the prayer that we'll use. Someday I imagine I'll explain what it means yeah. on a deeper level to me personally, but uh, this will be our prayer. 
The eyes of all look to thee, O Lord, and thou givest them their food at the proper time. Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desires of every living thing. Amen. Amen. So, the main course, the first episode. I alluded to it earlier, it's, it's a theory called expectation violation theory, but to, to sort of introduce that, I think we'll actually start with some tantalizing exam, examples from, from scripture, or some questions that we can pose that would, would introduce that topic best. Sure. Yeah, I often put it to my students in this way, I'm kind of being ironic or, or so, I, I will just say, can anybody in the class think of any examples in the four Gospels, where there's a nonverbal communication that, um, under inspiration, that the Gospel writer felt was important enough that we really should know um, that that happened. And I put it out that way to suggest maybe there's a couple of things we can think of. But, uh, you know, once examples start coming, start coming, they just they just come rolling in. Every page has something, and there's dozens and dozens of these things. So, you know, students will often talk about Jesus looking at Peter and he was before the high priest, and they exchanged that glance. And um, to, it's a good way to teach nonverbal communication, right? Because you're broadening your mind. This is four days he didn't come, so that's nonverbal. The, the waiting four days, right? yeah. Um, the touching of the leper and the, the loud voice. This is called paralanguage. So vocal qualities. We're supposed to know it was a loud voice that Christ cried from the cross, and so on. And so it's kind of like, what is what is going on here? Um, and I like this example, John, because um, this is not a difficult one. Yeah. We're really not finding things in Scripture no one else has found before. That's not what this is about. It's really the way the theory, expectancy violation theory, just causes us to notice things. It's going to cause us to linger from now on over any nonverbal you come across. Jesus looked at the rich man and loved him. What in the world is that all about? It's just you linger yeah. at that moment. I think we're and, supposed to. And it's always indicated in scripture too, where something that you would, if you were telling this story normally, you might not have thought to include, Mm -hmm. but in scripture it's there, which we sort of assume it means that it's an important thing, something that we should be taking a look at. And that's, that's how communication theory functions, right? I mean, you and I coached cross country together, you ran for me and stuff, and I've often thought of our cross country program, which is such a rich, beautiful thing. Um, there's, there's 10 different theories that you could look at, look through like windows or lenses to look at that experience. I like that metaphor. And each yeah. one shows you something. It doesn't show you other things, but each one makes you see different things. Like what is the story this group is telling each other? Mm-hmm. You know, different theories that help us to just uh, pay attention in, in fresh ways. So the theory we're dealing with is called expect, expectation or expectancy violation. Um, and it, it, it comes from the single most cited communication female scholar named Judy Burgoon. And what she was interested in was what happens when people violate what other people expect non-verbally. And this is really where the, the study of proxemics began. So her real burden was just distance and space. That's what she was looking at, what happens when you stand too close to someone, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and a lot of it comes across as a Seinfeld episode, you know, if you know the episode or if our two listeners do of the, <laughs> <laughs> of the close talker. So, so the idea, it's not rocket science, but the idea is that when somebody violates my expectations, like their nose is three inches from my nose as we're talking, it really does devastate the message. 
that they're trying to send, right? Because yeah. all my thoughts are, oh my goodness, his nose is three inches from my nose. That's kind of all you can receive. It takes your attention and places it on the violation rather than the the actual yeah. thing that's being said. Yeah, that's what it does. And, and it extends beyond then, of course, proxemics or space, all the other things like not smelling very pleasant or, yeah. you know, or the soft talker phenomenon. And, yeah. You know, all you're thinking is, oh my goodness. Um, so that's where the theor- theorizing began. But what J.D. Bergu noticed was that there are just as many occasions when somebody violates expectations non-verbally, and it's a very positive thing. It's a it's a take-to-your-grave kind of thing. I always say this to students, you know, um, your dad dropped you off for college the first time, and there were tears in his eyes, and you weren't expecting tears in his eyes. And yeah. you just, you know, you will not forget that. Um, so one communication, on the other hand, can suddenly be powerfully enhanced. Um, a boy and a girl are have been best friends for years and years and years, right? Um, and they're sitting there, and all of a sudden, his arm is around her shoulder, right? And it's Suddenly. the same thing where she could be reading yeah. the phone book. She's not going to, she doesn't hear what he's saying. Yeah. But she's just thinking, oh my goodness, his arm is around my shoulder. But in that case, not a negative, but a positive. And um, not to get too deep into the weeds here, how the theory works, it's the, the basic idea is she calls it valence or reward valence. It, the basic idea has to do with how much people like each other, whether the expectation is, is something unforgettable and, and, and really impactful or. Or goes the opposite direction, and, and um, so I always say is one reason to care about nonverbals is because it can have these functions. There, there are other reasons too, but it can go kind of go either way. I, I I think about a girl who was who was just so so ashamed. We're, we're kind of counseling. She's so so ashamed she can't even lift her eyes to mine, you know. And just my instinct in the moment was just to say, "Look me in the eye." I just wanted her to look me in the eye, and it it was. An odd thing, in a way, it took 45 seconds at least for her to lift her eyes um, before me to say her name, in the name of Jesus, I forgive you, you know, into her eyes. It's not that the nonverbals add any power to that most intimate form of the gospel, that most immediate form of gospel, which is, you know, um, applying the loosing key, the, the, yeah. the freeing key. But it's it's just kind of an instinct to have everything about our communication be sort of pulling the same direction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, as opposed to, I say something, and all my nonverbals are contradicting what I'm saying. Yeah. That's that's a serious issue, right? I, yeah. I say there's joy in the gospel, but you never see it in me. I think that that is potentially a problem. Yeah. So I'm 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 on a monologue here, John. You, you know, want to jump in? We'll get to the scriptures. In yeah. A moment. So yeah. some of some of the the things that that stick to my mind is um, this: the theory started with strictly nonverbals from what I, I recall. And then it sort of kept expanding into even the words that people say and the more into the proxemics where the, the differences of nonverbal communication, kind mm-hmm. of categorizing them and studying them all in, in separate ways there. And I started thinking of, um, you know, maybe one of the examples from structure, scripture that comes to my mind is how uh, how polarizing the figure of Christ was to the to the people who did not like him with the valence of the Pharisees where they were not a, not a fan and mm-hmm. so the nonverbals that and and even the verbals of, of Christ were kind of like that wedge that kind of pushed the sure. negative valence in that way but to stretch, stretch out your hand he says yeah to the, and, and 
if you love Jesus, if you didn't hate him, you would find that moment just stunning. You would become obsessed with someone who can tell a lame man to just stretch out his hand. But you're right. If if you hate him and come from a posture of suspicion mm-hmm. in, in the flesh, then... You hate them more. Yeah. You know, you hate them all the more. For and that. to the people who, you know, feeding 5,000 out of, of scraps that were mm-hmm. that were present or the healing, raising people from the dead, all of these things to the, to people that was such a wonderful, right. wonderful, positive yeah. violation. Touching, that, touching the beer, touching the... Yeah. Yeah, the, the coffin, so to speak, of the widow's son as she gives as he gives her back her son but touching a dead body like that or touching the The leper the leper oh my goodness i mean if you hate him you're just going to be wow but if you love him you can't not think when's the last time anybody touched that leper when's the last time you know so what we're saying is the scripture is full of these nonverbal things in the life of jesus and and again the loud voice from the cross you don't expect a dead dead man to be shouting you know an almost dead man um Every single one, maybe there'd be exceptions, but virtually every one is fitting into this theory. It's a, mm-hmm. it's, you don't expect that. And it, it's, it, it's a violation it's of... It's a powerful push in one direction, depending on yep. your preconceived notions of, of who Christ is. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how much that is the same today, where someone from our culture would, would look into the things that Christ has done in a story and having a sort of a watchful dragon on his figure and, and, uh, think, think even less or think how ridiculous this is, or it's just these myths, these stories, these Christians and how someone who has faith would, would look at these things and see the message of forgiveness and be moved even more than they were before. How moved you can be to think that the word became flesh and to communicate things with us. He couldn't otherwise could not, you know, before Christ comes, there is that divine condescension to communicate in words because this is how he's made us to communicate. But then to take on flesh and show us his arms on the cross stretched out. And, you know, every example, I, students often mention the, the crying of Jesus. And that's just a good example of where, okay, let's let's pause here and let's ask, what does this mean? You know, so, I mean, there's different kinds of crying for Jesus. There's... The silent tear rolling down. There's the, there's the deeply moved, crumbling, so to speak, beside Mary at the grave of Lazarus. And and what it means is clearly. I mean, if you want to know how God feels about death, this is where you look. You look at that face. How God feels about death, in in His total solidarity with our race. Um, and if you love Him, you just, you know. I don't know. You linger. The affection. The affection even grows um the way he invades your imagination yeah and the way you can learn to inhabit those stories by picking up every cue every cue that there is right another story that i often go to when i think of this theory is um the the boy jesus at the temple and he he stays there and his parents don't know where where he is and i think one of the the downsides of having been Christian my whole life is sometimes I'm dulled to the the things that should be more impactful and then just I, I try to put myself in those shoes like how how crazy was it that that the boy stayed in the that he stayed in the temple for that long his parents couldn't find him I 
I can't think of like an equivalent scenario in our in our time what that would what that would look like. Mm-hmm. But how 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 much of that was a violation, and and how that what he said what he, what he was saying what he said to his mother when she returned all all of those things sort of mm-hmm. and that's, they they, yeah. they baffle me they but they also uh, they, they have meaning right. so definitely and that's kind of the. The thing to see about nonverbal communication is it, it typically or often is that it's enhancing the words, it, that the words come with the cue. And so in that case, I had to be about my father's things. You know, this, yeah. is, this is something you think about all day. Um, yeah. Other examples, Johnny? Uh, I know there's, we had one that we had sort of saved, saved for last. You think sure, that's sure. appropriate? Yeah. yeah. So, so nice the one that I remember, um, was specifically uh, meaningful to me the first time I sort of uh, saw it from this lens of of expectation violation was actually, I think, you had a phrase or a little section of your dissertation on this specific instance in the New Testament where Jesus is at the house of Simon and he's with, were there a lot of Pharisees there and a lot of people of the law? And they're having this meal, and in comes uh, a prostitute, an adulteress, and she has uh, perfume, and she wipes it on his feet, and wipes it with her hair, and which, by the way, is nonverbal. Yes, all off. She doesn't say a word in this text, but her inwardness is just flooding out of her mm-hmm. in these loud, loud cues. Mm-hmm. And the Pharisees and people of the law are thinking, saying to each other something to the effect of like, if, if he knew who this person was, if he knew how much of a sinner she was, he would not be acting the way that he is now. And I, I remember Jesus says some words to, to Simon, but, but in the text, it says specifically that he's looking at, at the woman. And he says, well, you have it right in front of you. What does he say? Yeah, I mean, a listener, you have to, uh, you have to imagine this. I think to get the impact of it. Uh, first of all, to back up one step, uh, Jesus speaks a parable, which is a very indirect way of communicating. He speaks a parable. Um, two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. And then which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose, he says, like it's a calculation, I suppose, the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. And then here's the thing you were thinking of, John. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And goes on and in the end says, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven because she loved much. So, but just to imagine the scene, imagine Jesus looking at the woman while he's speaking to Simon, do you see this woman, Simon? There's just something really powerful about about that. Um, clearly, the person who is the whole object of his attention and affection is he just he doesn't tear his eyes away, even as he speaks to Simon. So she hears of her forgiveness in this kind of strange thing you and I have talked about, which is overhearing how you overhear yeah. things that aren't said to you, but you overhear them, like. Um, Christ from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How this this doesn't address us, um, but it just completely draws us in, 
and just shatters every illusion about who God is and every illusion about who we are. And so here he wants, he apparently wants her to overhear and yet with a piercing gaze in, in her eyes. So I, that blows I, me away too, John. It, I remember that when I read that, I was almost as speechless as I am right now. Just mm-hmm. imagining being just in that room, just witnessing that happen. How, I mean, myself knowing Christ is the one who forgives all of us, but but witnessing that specific instance right there where look at this woman as he's looking at her and, mm-hmm. and speaking to someone else is. Yeah. By the way, I'm going to put you on the spot, John. Yeah. You've, you've thought about videotaping this or creating like a yeah, I think movie that, version of I this. I think scene. that would be, uh, I think that would be sometime down the road, an interesting way to uh, present Christ to this culture is mm-hmm. through, through that medium. And I think there are some things that, um, that medium has uh, advantages to. Um, it's it's much more accessible. It's much more viewable, and the things that you can do inside that that format are are you're able to present these stories from Scripture about who Christ is, or even other things from Scripture, uh, even very difficult portions of scripture that you could present just as they are. And you leave the person who is watching kind of in this state of what was that? What was that all about? Who is this? Yeah. Yeah. It's, and I think, well, that can be part of our conversation too, John. Yeah. We're not just the theology of communication, but the communication of theology. And I was just noticing how this story ends is very much what you were saying. So the inspired writer, Luke, has choices to make, too, about what he's going to show us and what he doesn't. So after that long speech where Jesus is looking at the woman but speaking to Simon, then at the end it says, then Jesus said to her, said to her, your sins are forgiven. So no longer overhearing. Now this is, as we said before, the most immediate form. I forgive you. (laughs) Immediacy is like what's between you and me right here, right now. Mm -hmm. That's immediate. That's the most intense form of communication there is. And so Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, this is Luke 7, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And that's it. There it ends. We don't get to hear what Simon there's says. No, we don't get to hear his answer to them. There's no answer to those questions. It's, it's fascinating even, to leave us there. Even in, in, in church today, there was, uh, we, we ended with the, the last uh, verses from Jonah. And the last thing that is said in that, in, in that at least in the text that was presented there, I believe it's the very end of the book, it is. is the God's words back to Jonah after the the plant has died and the sun's beating down and he's so angry he's about to die. And he's like, should I have not have compassion on these people, all of these children in the city who don't know their left hand from their right, right. and the animals? And I love, I love the point that... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, and it just, it hangs there. It doesn't answer the question for you right there. It doesn't... And the point that Pastor Smith made about that was that one I was hoping he was going to say yeah. was Jonah wrote this book. I mean, you know, <laughs> there are things in this book... Like the, the prayer he prayed from the heart of this of the fish in the sea and yeah. the belly of the fish. Only Jonah knows that. Only Jonah knows his own petulance. And so that the hope and the thought that writing the book is his repentance. Writing his book is him willing to make himself look as bad as he looks in that book because 
then the last word is God saying, how can I not care? How can I not care? And um, yeah, it's fascinating. It was, it was wonderful today. Yeah. So I'm sure we'll have many other instances like that in scripture where the question is left unanswered and ones that we'll talk about in this podcast for sure. I know um, sure indirect communication as a specific topic will probably be one in the future. Sure. Yeah. I um, threw that phrase out there. As you know, it's a very technical phrase. And deep, one that's deep very waters. meaningful to you as well. <laughs> it is. It, it's a, yeah. I was thinking about Kierkegaard, which you're kind of dancing yeah. around the name Kierkegaard, who I, I find value in that. And someday we'll talk about why I think we've maybe misread him and that there's some value mm-hmm. there for Lutherans who are asking the question of communication, how to communicate to an age that is just not disposed to hearing a word we say. Yeah. I think Kierkegaard has something. And so maybe one more example of the violation yeah. expectation. It's just a fanciful thing, I guess. But of all the people who've ever wondered, what did the look of Jesus mean when he looks at Peter? You know, I've often thought just how personal that is, that my relationship with God and my failures are so personal between him and me, you know, but, uh, and that's all there, but Kierkegaard's interpretation of the look Jesus gave to Peter was simply Jesus saying, Peter is Peter and I love him. And I love the, the gracious cast of that, that sure there's sorrow, um, but nothing will deter Christ from doing what he plans to do that day, that night, and two days later. You yeah. Know? So anyway. Yeah. I think that kind of concludes our understanding of scripture through expectation violation theory. Did you have any like personal examples of how that kind of looks today to in today's day and age? Well, John, I don't ever violate expectations. So I'm wondering maybe, um, maybe you have an example see, of yeah, a violation. I, I'm of... sorry. I forgot. We talked about that earlier. <laughs> <laughs> do I do. You have a I, story, do I do. I know. <laughs> um, so uh, back when I was in, in high school, I, was in the Latin class. I took that for four years at Luther Prep. And we went to this little conference called Junior Classical League. It's where all the nerds who studied Latin and Greek in high school went together in Madison and had a little competition. And uh, I went there and uh, unfortunate series of events, I kind of uh, got separated from my group at the check-in of the hotel. And... um, there was an elevator that I was going to use to to get up to my to my room. I just had my key card. I was like, okay, room three hundred two, and I know I need to get to the third floor. Went to the elevator. Was it really room three hundred two? This I, this memory is burned that it, deeply into your. It's brain. like in, yeah, I, I I I'm not exactly sure. I have to go back, um, but I, I remember it was the third floor. Or maybe it was. I can't. What, what's important is I went to the elevator and I opened up. The elevator opens up after I pushed the button and there's this girl in, in the, it's just, just her. And me being the awkward high schooler that I am, I just, I was kind of like, I just froze for a second. It was, uh, and the door, the door started to close before I walk in the elevator. It was just such an art. Like, what do I say? Like, do I, I mean, she's clearly at the conference here and she, I, I just didn't know there were no words. I just, I was, I was an awkward human at that time. And I am now as well, but I've hope I've grown a little bit (laughs) anyway. So I, I try to remedy my violation (laughs) of not saying anything and letting the, like barging through the doors. It's like, well, what, what what room are you going to? (laughs) Which is, 
<laughs> Which is is hilarious because she's already on the elevator. And she's already like pushed the button. She's she's already indicated what floor. And I look as I'm looking at the the numbers on. She's, I thought you said what room you. You asked her what room she was oh, going to. Oh, no, 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 just the floor. Odd. Just okay. <laughs> <laughs> We were not at that. I was not that confident in myself at that point. What room are you? Uh, she was going to, a, I think, like floor five or something above me. So I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to floor three. And so I pushed the button. And then there's that, again, awkward time before the door starts to close. And I was like frantically pushing the door close button and it wasn't working. And so we finally, I was like, okay, I'm, I've... I've clearly made a fool of myself up until this point. It's like, is there anything I can do to repair that? You know, I didn't know really how to talk to people at this time. Very clear. I mean, I've obviously demonstrated that through this story so far, but I, I, I th- I'm, I'm an introvert and I tend to think of a lot of different like potential things I can say, especially in like small talk situations. Mm-hmm. I have like a number of questions that are going sure. through my head kind of like a wheel, like spin the wheel and see what question comes up first. So I was thinking of a number of these and I started to ask one and I think I like switched halfway. I think what came out of my mouth was, hi, how are, what school do you go to? <laughs> and very burned in my memory. And didn't she have it on her school? She had it. Yeah. It was like some Catholic school from from Madison, as, as I, I look at her as I'm asking the question and see what the answer is right there. She just kind of looked down and said, yep. And so I've I've clearly, I, I, there's no way out of this except to get out of the elevator. I've just got to be ready to go. And for some, th- for some reason, I thought it was really important that as soon as I leave the elevator, that I don't have to like go back in front of the elevator to make so mm-hmm. that she does just never see me again. Okay. Just get out. So I decide <laughs> I'm going to go right. I'm going to leave the elevator <laughs> with my bags, and I'm going to go to the right. No and matter what. No matter what happens. <laughs> I, we're disaster. It's code red. Like we're getting out of here. And so the doors open, and I bolt out, and I go to the right, and I walk about four feet, and there's a dead end. <laughs> so, so I'm just out of view in this dead end, and I stand there with my bag. And she's, the doors are still, I'm like, oh, just wait for the doors to close. Just wait for the doors to close. You're facing the wall? I'm like in the corner, (laughs) (laughs) just like in the corner, kind of just out of view of the elevator, like, like facing the corner, dunce cap on everything. We're, we're, it's like, I'm in timeout in this hallway. Like I like quick glance over my shoulder and like, there's no one else in the hallway, like seeing me. I'm just like, look, wait for the doors to close. Wait for the doors to close. It's like the greater part of a minute. The doors aren't closing. I'm still standing there with like my backpack and my bag. And then, and finally, ding. And it's like, ah, oh, finally. And I like, I face, I for the first time, like face the hallway, like open up. And to my horror, there's like a mirror right outside the elevator doors. Kind of like, and, and I see the reflection of this girl just oh, kind of my. staring at me. And I like holding the d- <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> oh boy! So, yeah, that's kind of a negative valence situation. I would say, where I would say, yeah, because if she'd liked you, she'd have liked you. Yeah, even it, more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, yeah. So I don't know if there's a part of the theory that deals with the perceptions of the, the violator, <laughs> but oh, so it was funny. just just. Oh, uh, just I've a heard suit. the longer version of that story. The thirty minute version. It's just fall, oh. fall on the floor. Funny. <laughs> 
I'm sorry for everyone who's heard the 30 minute version <laughs> no. of that story, but it's, uh, uh. yeah. So there's a lot of, I, I'm, I'm just going to be done. I'm just going to be okay. done with that part. <laughs> okay. If you, if you know me in real life and want me to tell you the, the full five minute version, then I'll go for it. But, um, do you have any takeaways from, from our conversation? Anything that really kind of struck you is like in a new light or. Uh, I'm not sure. I'll think of something on the way home. How yeah, about, how about I you, think um, mine actually came from from the devotion uh, where the where two or three. Um, it's been a while since I've heard that bit, especially. Um, I mean, some of those stories you've shared in class, but just the the way that Christ can having Christ in your life in between two people can repair relationships mm-hmm. where they have been driven apart. Mm. And and how almost one to one that is with, you know, how sin drives us apart from God, and then how He, through the cross, has kind of brought us back together. It something I've heard before, but not not for some time, not in that way. And it was is uh, the takeaway for me today. That'll be on my mind on my way back up towards the city. So. Yeah, I, I've often thought that Where Two or Three would be a good title for a book on <clears throat> a unique view of Christian communication. But uh, we'll make it a podcast instead. Actually, yeah. what you said does trigger a little story. Okay. One I've probably told before, too. Yeah. But uh, an embarrassing story. Jonah embarrasses himself. I can embarrass myself. Um, so... Long, long time ago, I, my wife and I sat down, Connie and I sat down to watch the Mel Gibson movie, what's that called? The Passion of the Christ, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'd seen it before in a theater, and so I, I knew what this movie was. And so we were watching it, and we got just about to the scourging scene, and and uh, my sweet, sensitive, spiritually sensitive wife just says, you know, if it gets rough, I'm just going to turn away. And I've seen this scene. I mean, it's just, it's just complete brutality. And so I said to her, what probably didn't come across right, I just said, well, why should we even watch it then? You're going to turn away when it gets bad? You know, I'm thinking in my head, you have no mm-hmm. idea what this is. And and this woman is not going to want to see this happen to her Lord or even her Lord in depiction. So I just, yeah. but it came out terribly. Yeah. So we, why, why even watch it, you know? So, you know, communication... Um, PhD that I am, I'm, <laughs> I break, break every rule of communication as I tell her, she shouldn't feel that way, you should feel this way, and this is what I meant, I didn't mean that. And and uh, at one point she just said, I don't want to talk about this anymore. This is kind of what she said, I don't want to talk about this anymore, and so we didn't. And, you know, I think we've all been there. What what happens is you, you're cold, you're cold to one another, just cold, and then you kind of gradually warm up, and it might be if you're foolish enough, it might be the next morning or it might be, you know, later that night after whatever hours were wasted, you mm-hmm. know. Um, maybe somebody tells a joke and signals, the other person laughs and signals that we're better. And, and this is what this is what we can do and we think this is what you do and we think that's adequate, you know, to handle the things that come between us that way. So anyway, I don't know how many years later, probably seven years later, we're at the potion supper table and I think one of the kids kind of I mean of all the things to argue about isn't that ridiculous of all the things to argue about I I just man I just want to give myself a crack in the mouth over that (laughs) so anyway we're at supper and the I think one of the one of the girls um 
on either side of the table brought him up, brought it up innocently, just the movie, you know, yeah. Passion of the Christ. And something, uh, something moved me to look across the table and say, you know what? I don't know if I ever said I was sorry about that. I was. I want to tell this to students. I always say, "Do you think Mrs. Pelskin remembers what I'm talking about?" And yeah, she. Oh, of course she does. I don't know if I've ever told you I was sorry about that. And she looks across the table and gets tears in her eyes and put a big, big warm smile and says, "I forgive you." And um, I wasn't expecting this to happen at all. I'm getting tears in my eyes. Just you know, mm-hmm. it was just this thing. And the, the girls are like, "Would you guys please get a room?" You know, my, <laughs> my four daughters are mortified. But but. Uh, Boy, he just didn't think that was something that was sort of still waiting to happen over a dumb little argument yeah. years ago. And this is what I mean by, that would almost be the inspiration of if we could write a book together where two or three would just be, what happens in that moment is unique. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it is not the same as the forgiveness you can hear about in any secular classroom, although it doesn't get much play most places. Yeah. But this is an entirely different thing. Um, um, as I said before, the, the, the death and rising of God lies behind that powerful expression of yeah. grace and forgiveness. And you learn something in that moment. Again, theology, getting up to live. Um, so, yeah, you triggered that when you brought yeah. us back to the two or three. Um, yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll end today uh, with, with some desserts. One of... Just off-topic things we have on our mind. One of the things that actually it's only somewhat off-topic is um, that your story reminded me of is I have some friends who are looking to start exploring new ways that they can facilitate worship and specifically with like tangible things such as, um, excuse me, uh, so he, he describes an experience to me where there's like a crown of thorns uh, and an actual snow that they brought into the worship place. And people would go up and write their, like, write a sin on the snow. Mm. And the crown of thorns is dripping with this red liquid representing blood. And it would, would wash all of that snow away over the course of the worship. Mm. Something like that, where they just, they're really visceral kind of experiences. Like, this is, it's right there in front of you. You can experience, like, how your sins are being washed away as like just a wow. way to bring you more into what, what worship is like. And one of the other experiences was about the journey to the cross specifically on, on good Friday. And so there were, I think what, 14 different pieces of art in this room that kind of show that journey just that you could go around and kind of have some contemplative time to, mm-hmm. to experience. And uh, it was actually an accident. What, what someone said, the most impactful piece of art in this whole entire thing was that halfway through, um, the, the space had like an, like an exit door halfway through all of these, these things on the journey to the cross, all of these depictions, all of this art, what I can't, I, I don't know exactly what, what they mm-hmm. were, but halfway through just the nature of the building, there was an exit door for fire safety, but how, hmm. how crazy that like someone, people are stopping at this, or there's an exit sign where you can leave, like you don't have to go. You either take this cup from me and I can leave. And, and, it, and it's just right there. Mm. And that was the most meaningful part of the whole, of the whole experience that was set up in that. So I don't know. That, Serendipity. Yeah, that was. Uh, That's interesting. Just how it, the accident of an exit sign could kind of trigger like <laughs> how 
Like you knew what was coming up ahead that, that and whole, you chose to do it. That whole thing of <clears throat> how I can only imagine the way all that art worked is it's not ever telling you anything you don't know already. It's yeah. never providing new information, whatever the art is, mm-hmm. that somehow is bringing some feature of Christian theology. No, it, it doesn't work if you didn't actually already know the information. Yeah. You know, but having the information then the art is functioning in some way that's hard to articulate, but it brings you into a deep contact, kind of a deeper sort of contact. Yeah. Whatever that truth is, even such as the exit, yeah. whatever that meant to people. Um, so we'll have to talk about art someday. Yeah, sometime. I think I'm the big fan. Yeah. art <laughs> and communication and especially worship are um, very interesting to me. Me too. Just, we'll, I'll save some of those for later, but I think you said you had something that was a little dessert that you had prepared. Oh, just yeah, just the kind of the yeah, random, just random like, yeah, just something thing. for the for the yeah. end here. Well, we, we were coming up the elevator talking about this, John. And I yeah. was just thinking a different elevator for those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was less Dif- awkward than the less, time in high school. Less, let's say less. We a lot more coffee, thankfully. Yeah. No, so this is totally random. I was just thinking about all the things I've been teaching lately or experiencing with students, and so this is really random. But um, John, we had this is since your day in. My class. We had a book club day this year in IPC. This is a new, th- so a new. Yeah, thing. A brand nice. new thing. One of cool. my sons-in-law had the idea, or my daughter together. They had the idea. I was just reading some of these great things, um, and so you know, I uh, had students reading maybe like a handful, like five books, and so there'd be a number of students read the same book, and they would talk about that, and then we'd reconfigure the group so we could be with a group where people have not read the same thing, and and kind of sell them on the book, and. It was just the most heartening thing. I, nice. You know, I, I quoted C.S. Lewis on reading, which I just love what he has to say about how with the man who doesn't read, he, uh, oh, how did he say this? He, mm, <laughs> I'm lacking the words, John. Something about it, he confines himself. It's a, like a voluntary yeah. confinement, solitary confinement voluntarily in the prison of his own ideas. And and if you never give yourself access access to the minds of others, and and he talks about he has this phrase about reading to see with other eyes and not just my own. Um, he says I transcend myself and I'm never more myself than when I do. And then he says we demand windows. And I put that put that quote in front of the students, and it was it was one of the best conversations I've had in that class. And I was just so glad to hear that they get it that there's a love for reading that still can be found yeah. among college students that. There's something you don't get in any other way, even listening to a book. There's a difference. And so, anyway, there's my dessert. Yeah. The joy of reading. No, that's the joy great. of reading, yeah. I remember some of my favorite books were actually ones that I came to because of your class. So, Susan Cain mm-hmm. is the obvious one. Sure. Quiet. Quiet. Um, but also, there is uh, the work of Daniel Goldman um, Emotional Intelligence, Social mm-hmm. Intelligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, those ideas have been very interesting to me, especially the. Um, just how our brain works, the psycho- psychologically and like neuropathically, how mm-hmm. how it, how our brain functions. Yeah. It was just crazy interesting to me. Um, the little dessert that I had prepared was um, a little anecdote I heard from, I think from from another podcast or it was a conversation I had with someone. Um, they were talking about fear and uh, the relationship between fear and like action. So the the actual terms they were talking about was uh i can't some 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 lady was saying that she was told to be brave 
and they started, she looked up the definition of bravery or kind of investigated it more and found out that, you know, bravery is not having fear, just going forward and doing something not afraid. Um, courage, on the other hand, is when you're fearful of something or kind of on edge about something, but you do it anyway. And so she, f- she found some hmm. help in that. It was like, be strong, be courageous. That mean that doesn't mean that you don't have to be afraid. That doesn't mean that all of that will go away mm-hmm. immediately, but that you can have the strength to do that. Anyway, I just thought that was an interesting thing on Very the way fine. on the way through. <clears throat> Very fine. And the bridge to the gospel. Someone just recently pointed this out to me. Um, obviously, God often speaks to us in His words, saying, "Don't be afraid." Yeah. But he, he just doesn't do that without giving you the reason, and mm-hmm. He must do it so often because He knows what we are, what stuff we're made yeah. of. That's why He would find it so important to say over and over, don't be afraid, but there's always a reason. There's always yeah. a reason because of my boundless love for you, and you know it because you've seen what I was willing to give for you. And you can begin to look ahead to the world I've, the new world I'm going to make for you. Yeah. So never just, you know, yeah, just find this someplace within yourself. Yeah. Cast it off. No, there's always a reason. And it's yeah. always some feature of the gospel itself. So good stuff, John. Yeah. I think that I, were you planning on ending? Like, or do you do you have something to say? Do I should I say then yeah. the last part? Check please. Check. <laughs> Check. <laughs> Check. We're done. You need to get out of the restaurant now. Yeah, we're, I'm uh, done anyway. That's great. Um, yeah, thanks, we John. Racked up the bill a little bit, but uh, you know, thanks. Thanks very much for listening. Those three of you that will yeah. be here for this first time. <laughs> Number will grow. I hope this has been where two or three. Yeah, we'll see you next time.